My goodness me. Here it is. Predictable. Well choreographed. Perfectly rehearsed. Hello, Happy New Year and welcome to a special episode of Grassroots, the only podcast for Grassroots Women's Rugby. In this team huddle of an episode, we discuss our mental health. With January upon us and with Covid still in full swing, we tackle this very difficult but all too common subject. We welcome Megan Tom from Rugby Talks and we discuss her own experiences across the game. This is a two-part episode. In part two, we'll have the opportunity to hear stories from people about how they use rugby to support their teammates and their own mental health. 22 months out with a triple knee operation. She runs in, tries for fun. Lou. She has got a remarkable strike rate. And I'm Jodie. The forward who can't stop scoring. I'm Molly. The cannonball coming through. And I'm Matt. This is Grassroots. Quick trigger warning. We do talk quite openly about some very tough subjects in this episode, so please be aware of that. How was Christmas anyway? Happy New Year. Shit. Yeah, Jodie, you, you probably had the lowest Christmas of all of us, didn't you? So, do you want to talk us through it, start to finish? It's probably the worst Christmas I've ever had, without a joke. I was just so sad. I was crying most of the day. It was just a really awful Christmas. Did you actually cry all day? Well, most of the day, yeah, I cried basically different patches throughout the day. And then New Year's Day wasn't very good either because everyone's like, oh, New Year, New Year. It's a new fresh start. I'm just like, oh, fuck, I can't. Miserable, miserable. I feel really bad now. You could have come to my house. Like you were asking in the group, like, oh, what, is everyone, you okay? Do you want anything? I'm just like, it's Christmas. You enjoy your days and stuff. And I can't really come around when I had COVID. So. Oh, shit. Yeah, I suppose not. Man. That's really tough. Yeah, she wasn't just crying because it was Christmas, Matt. She was crying <laughs> because she had COVID at Christmas. It wasn't just a tearful day. All the viewers are going to think, like, Jodie hates Christmas, but she had COVID. So the plan was for Maria to come around because she had COVID. And then I got COVID so she could come around. We could COVID together. It turns out she didn't actually have COVID. She just had a cold. And I was like, fuck, I've got COVID on my own now. Oh, dear. How about you, Dubs? How was yours? I feel bad saying that mine was quite nice. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm really shitting all over Jodie, really. Uh, no, it was quite nice, actually, yeah. We just spent... My dad came down, went down to Wales for New Year, so mm. pretty relaxed. Ate too much, drank too much, you know, the usual. Played some board games. And you finally got over your hangover, which is good. Oh, only just. Do you want to, do you want to tell the millions of listeners what your Sunday was like after the team social? It was not good, I honestly... I, I, we recorded another podcast. I couldn't even make it. I was just being sick. <laughs> drinking early on in the day. It's because I wasn't playing rugby because of my knee. So I was just drinking whilst you guys were playing rugby. So I already had, already had a head start. And then it was all a bit of a blur. But I did make it home with my uh, sparkly bum bag. So whilst I might have vomited down myself, at least my bum bag was intact. <laughs> fanny packs for the win. Everyone Indeed. needs a fanny pack for the outing. And we discussed, Dubs, having a picnic in it because when you weren't on, we discussed the fact that every rugby social, or especially the Christmas ones, oh, yes, we'll stop about pub five and have some chips or some food to sober us up and it never happens. So I'm now going to take a cheese sandwich or a variety of snacks in said bum bag to the social. I think that's a great idea because, frankly, the disgusting mince pie that we had to eat as part of a drinking challenge didn't really touch the sides of the 17 pints of cider. <laughs> I can just see you, though, coming home. You've lost your car keys, but you've still got the cheese sandwich in your bum bag. Yeah, that's what's going to happen, is it? You're trying to open your door with a cheese sandwich. 
<laughs> well, I'll tell you what did turn up at my house, because some of the other guys were staying at our house, uh, woke up the next day and there was a sticky poo on the roof. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that might have come from, Lou. <laughs> How random. <laughs> so, Molly, good Christmas. Sir. Yours was pretty uneventful by the sounds of it. Yeah, no COVID, had a Christmas dinner, didn't cry, so really tick, tick. However, I think we need to discuss our outing with the director of rugby on New Year's Eve Eve. Yeah, that was a pretty shameful experience, really. Yeah, so I don't think Dubs knows about this, but Lou and Jodie definitely do. So Matt messaged impromptuly to the group for the podcast saying, anyone want to come for a pint at the Rifleman? The only reason we went there is because Sherry wanted to go out. We wanted to go and join Sherry. Yeah, Sherry never came, did she, Matt? No, I, it may have been user error on my part with some pretty terrible mm. organisation. And in fact, you guys not responding to the call to arms didn't help. Yeah, I had a meeting with the minis and juniors section on the Thursday. So I thought I'll take a late lunch from work, go along with my notepad, put give my infinite wisdom and advice to the minis and juniors section about the plans for the new year. Uh, and that was about two in the afternoon. I think we left the pub at, what, nine-ish in the end? Yeah, I arrived at quarter past five after finishing work and everyone else had played the old, oh, I'm doing the washing up, doing my washing, but really they were sat in the pub drinking. Turned up, Kennedy was on another planet. Matt was quite merry. Then there were some other coaches there that were very, very drunk and crazy. And then all of a sudden, we decided that in the pub, there was too many Christmas <laughs> decorations located on the windowsill so we thought we'll help them take the christmas decorations down and we filled kennedy's pockets with baubles lanterns tinsel and, and a very heavy holder, wasn't it yeah tea light holder and a very heavy snowman ornament and then matt took the coat home because kennedy left too drunk and then found the coat on the floor the next day and didn't your wife nearly break around? Yeah, she came down it? the stairs and trodden it thinking it was a nice soft coat by the front door and then trod on her. I think it's probably made of plaster of Paris ornaments of a snowman that was not only heavy but also very pointy with bare feet and twisted her ankle and then... Jo Did you returned any of the items? So I went walking with, with Kennedy on Friday and he found another bauble in a special secret pocket where he keeps his beer funds. So it was a gift that kept on giving, basically. Though what's funny is that he was in a bad way the following day in many, many ways. Not only was he suffering from the effects of too much booze, he was also in the doghouse. And he scraped himself out of his pit to take all the ornaments back to the rifleman, only to find out that it was shut. So he had to go home again. It was a concern that he wasn't going to make it home, which is like, what, 200 yards? <laughs> yeah, something like that. It's literally round the corner. I don't understand why you're thinking a Thursday evening was a good time to have Jaeger bomb shots. Yeah, whose stupid idea was that? Well, they started off Kennedy. Kennedy, then Molly was like, yeah, let's get some more. I'm like, really? There's never a good time to have Jaeger no, bomb shots. Ever. And didn't the barmaid give us some free ones on the basis that that's the busiest Thursday night she'd ever had in her entire life? <laughs> Pretty much, like, yeah. Gave us like a, a Brucey bonus for basically drinking the place dry. Well, I turned up at half past four. And there was you, Nick, Adam, and the other two coaches. And you'd all had five pints each. So <laughs> that's like doubled the um, rifleman's Thursday evening quota yeah, right there. pretty messy. I maintain that the best boozy evenings are the impromptu ones. The ones we're not really sure about whether you're going to go out or not. And then you go out and it's fun. We were very productive, though. We talked about podcasting stuff and... 
other do stuff. We? I don't know if anyone remembers. Nope. <laughs> no. Yeah, I do. It was really productive. And actually, we were very nice to Jodie and we consoled her on a very shit Christmas. <laughs> I remember Jode. Matt probably fucking doesn't. But daytime drinking with your rugby mates is the best. It is it's absolutely the best. Disaster. I oh, love daytime. Six Nations, my favourite thing in the world. And you get those days where it's like a 12 o'clock kickoff and the last game starts mm-hmm. at 8 o'clock. Everyone pack your cheese sandwiches in your bum bag. It's going to be a rough it ride. It's going to be rough for that one, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. So, New Year's resolutions then. Oh, sorry. What about you? Tell us about your no, Christmas, Lee. Me, yeah. my Christmas. Oh, no, tell us about your Christmas. Better be good. So it was a mixture between the Vicar of Dibley and a props Christmas, basically, because I had no kids for the day. So I went to my brothers and we had an enormous meal and two puddings and chocolates and wine. And then I thought I, I had said I'd pop round to Nick and Emma's in the evening, but when I turned up there, they were just plating up another Christmas dinner. Because they'd been at the pub all day. So basically, I had two full Christmas dinners. So I would call that really a props Christmas. That was, that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> I was so full. I mean, so full. Lou, it's a Sunday 2T Sunday. Was it actually a Sunday? Or was it a Saturday? Yeah. We'll call it a Sunday. Yeah. Did you play 80 minutes of rugby in between each meal? Though? That's the question. No, I played 80 minutes of the card game Shithead after my second lunch. What is it about <laughs> you and Pooh, honestly? I don't know. <laughs> News resolutions then. What have you got? Jodie, not catch COVID. That'd be a good start. Yeah, I think not getting COVID again would be really good. But the actual news resolution kind of incorporates the sort of mental health aspect of my sort of life. And I wanted to go towards my eating disorder and try and sort myself out this year and get myself better and get some help. So my New Year's resolutions was not to throw up, really. Mm. And it lasted two days. But... I did well. Two days is better than no days. Yeah, but I've been well since. For last week, I've done really well. So I'm trying to sort myself out with that. That's my non-rugby New Year's resolution. But we'll talk about that in a bit more detail in a minute, I think, because there's, there's obviously some more layers to that. But yeah, how about you, Dubs? What's your New Year's resolution? Well, I think, uh, again, I suppose a bit related to Jodie, I started doing Red January so because I thought, actually, I'd quite like to get a bit fitter this year so and managed to make it around 80 minutes without feeling like I'm going to die and it kind of relates I suppose to the mental health side of things I did start doing dry January but that didn't last very long my resolve with that one I was like maybe I just need to learn how to stop drinking (laughs) after we've been out for nine hours (laughs) that's where I need to learn but yeah I think maybe mainly it's like fitness and then I think because it makes me feel a lot better mentally to do exercise even if it's just went for a walk before doing this yeah. it just makes me feel a lot better so uh, kind of forcing myself to do something active every day. I think that's doable if you say to do something active rather than I'm gonna climb 100 mountains this year it's probably more likely to happen isn't yeah. it? Yeah I really don't like running so I mean last year we did the um, burpee challenge and I do quite like things like that I like challenges so maybe try and kind of put a couple of those challenges in, especially if we can do it as a team again, because that was good. But yeah, not like run 100 miles a, a week. Yeah, I think that's a sensible approach. How about you, Molly? Well, I think, Matt, actually, this is probably about a year ago we had this conversation. It was about spending time with the people that matter and not worrying about the people that don't. So I'm a right people pleaser and I like to try and do everything that I can for other people. But with that I tend to lose my sense of what I actually want to do so rather than just trying to do things to make other people happy I'm going to be looking at me and going well actually no I don't want to do that even though I want to see you I don't really fancy doing that so 
thanks, but I'm not going to do it. And I think it's really important, especially through COVID, that actually I miss the people that I want to spend time with. But a lot of people I may have lost touch with. And then it just basically taught me that I need to say yes to the people that I want to spend time with that matter and not worry about the other people. It's so hard to do that, isn't it? Because I think when you're generally quite an empathetic person, you feel uh, like you have an obligation to help people and to look after people and to take on yeah. some of their their burden. And I think that's good to a point, but sometimes you have to look after yourself a bit too, don't you? You spend too much of your time dealing with the wrong kind of people. Yeah, it's just hard to say no, isn't it? Like you say, I feel guilty, but actually it's my life. And if I don't want to do it, I shouldn't feel pressured into doing anything. No, totally agree. Yeah. How about you, Lou? No real resolutions as such, but I do have some goals that I'm definitely going to that I want to hit this year. So one is I need a new job (laughs) because the one I've got currently is killing my life and my brain. The second one is that I want to be back on the rugby pitch, physio depending. And there's another couple. I mean, they've got quite a lot of booze in the cupboards downstairs that I'd like work my way through. (laughs) And also I'm uh, visualising a Range Rover Evoque. So nice, yeah. Manifest it and it will come. What you think about, you bring about. (laughs) Range Rover Evoke. Thank you very much. Come on, Batty. What's yours? I've got two, I think. One's silly, but also kind of important, I think. And the second one is a bit more serious, I suppose. So the more serious one is just to look after myself a bit better, to be honest. I've actually got a new job that I start in March. So looking forward to that. And it's going to be a, a challenging and a potentially extremely stressful job. So I've deliberately put myself in a situation where I'm going to be out of my comfort zone, which is going to be challenging mentally as well as physically. In order to be able to do that job justice and, and really make it work, I do need to sort my my health out a little bit. You know, I need to lose some weight. I need to just little things like get into a better sleep routine, do more things that are good for my mental health and my my sense of well being, I suppose, because if I don't do that, then this job will kill me and it won't work. So that that's really important to me. And then the second thing is I was fighting with my chest of drawers the other day, trying to put some clothes away, and it was doing my head in. And I suddenly struck me that I've got clothes in my drawers that I reckon are at least 15 years old. I threw a load out, and I've just suddenly realised that my wardrobe is really shit. You know, I've never been a particularly fashion-conscious person, but there comes a point where you just think, nah. I'm not even looking at my dad. I'm looking at my dad if my dad was a tramp and had been on the streets for 15 years. So I think maybe sorting out my wardrobe <laughs> and maybe taking a bit more pride in my appearance might be a nice start. So it all sort of fits together. You know, that might require money. So when are you planning to start? Well, you know, it's, it's ongoing, but I've also got to maybe shed some weight so I can actually get into clothes that aren't only available in Millet or Mountain Warehouse. Do you think that charity shops are going to accept your 1970s uh, <laughs> throwbacks? I'm, I'm, I think I'm actually just going to burn it, to be honest. I think all I'm doing is creating work for the people in the charity shops who then have to put it into some kind of shredding machine or bury it in landfill. So I might as well do that job for them. Didn't we take the piss out of you for a few years about those rammy trainers? That yeah, then I realised they're 20 years old, so I threw them out. Mm. One step at yeah, a time, there Matt. You go. Hey? Invest in my, in my future in more ways than one. So we'll see how that goes, shall we? Should we just swap? You have my old clothes, I'll have your old clothes. You, you'll look like you're going to some kind of fancy dress party, and I'll look like a sausage in a skin at best. I think you'd look good. I think you'd pull off some skinny jeans. How will I ever pull off skinny jeans? I don't know. We'll try, won't we? I'll pack it up for you. Right, guys. I'm sorry. We're going to have to veto that. There is no way 
Batty's wearing skinny jeans, he'll get the shit ripped out of him. There's no way the shit would be coming out of him. It'd be stuck yeah, in there forever. <laughs> I'll be, yeah, I won't even be able to leave the house. I'll have died of asphyxia before we've even got in the car. So maybe not, Jodie, but, you know, I appreciate the offer. Thanks so much for thinking of me. Anyway, so today's topic is going to be a bit more serious. So we've got an interview that will be in this podcast with Meg and Tom, who have set up a group called Rugby Talks. Uh, Rugby Talks is a Facebook group, Twitter, Instagram, all the usual social channels, and they do a lot of live events and so on. And really, it's about bringing the rugby community together to normalise and talk about mental health discussions. And the interview that I did with them, as you'll hear, is really interesting, and it was really nice to talk to them about their journey not just in mental health but also in, in how they've decided to work with the uh, rugby community to get to make this happen so it's really nice for us to get them on the podcast and um, hopefully those of you that are listening that these topics resonate with will join their group take part in the discussion as well so mental health is a discussion i think that needs to be had in rugby clubs and it needs to be had amongst friendship groups as well and i thought it'd be a good place to start with us is to talk about our own experiences first question i've got for you all is how is your mental health currently dire dire Currently, it's not the best. I really need to sort of work on it. But my mental health issues sort of started from quite a young age. Um, I was overweight and bullied when I was younger. So that sort of sticks to you when you're called fat all the time. And it sort of developed into an eating disorder when I was around 13. And basically, since then, I've not liked my body. I've hated the way I've looked. And I think very recently I actually only just acknowledged that I had an eating disorder because the way I look at myself and the way you see people with eating disorders is they look a certain way, they're a certain size, a certain shape. So I didn't realise I had an eating disorder until about four years ago. And I just thought I had a weird, weird relationship with food. And it was only about a year ago that I started telling other people as well, started being open about it because it made it less scary if it's sort of out there then I don't feel so alone like it's such a dirty secret anymore yeah I have my ups and downs and I have my relapses and currently I'm in a really bad sort of relapse with sort of stresses in life for what's going on and I fall back into my eating disorder because it gives me a sense of control in the world because I can't control everything around me I control what I eat I control what I digest and if I hit a certain amount of calories in the day I feel like I'm in control, I've successful, I've I've achieved something then. So that sort of gives me that false sense of control, even though it's the insult that controls me and I can't actually stop myself anymore. So Jenny, you mentioned a second ago about you didn't really realise you had an eating disorder. What was the trigger point where you thought, actually, this is not normal behaviour? obviously had it from a young age and I'd never told anyone apart from my partners that I was with at the time. And I remember telling... The girlfriend I had when I was 16 that I, I throw up the reaction from that sort of isolated me and I sort of went in on myself and decided not to talk about it ever again because it's like oh why would you do that that's disgusting that's so wasteful and it's like well it is actually there's people that are starving and I'm wasting this food that's really quite selfish and I think it was my sort of second girlfriend who was like Jodie you really need to sort yourself out this is not normal this is not how people deal with food you've got a problem and even then I was like I haven't got a problem I know exactly what I'm doing I'm controlling it I'm not underweight I'm not overweight anymore I, I'm fine there's nothing wrong with me I'm physically fine everyone associates eating disorders with physical appearance when in fact it is a mental illness and it's everything that goes in your head all the thoughts and feelings you think it's all associated with how you feel about yourself not what you actually look like one thing that I find quite interesting having had 
in a mental health episode myself quite late in life is recognizing what that feeling actually is because it's so personal to you isn't it it's so hard to articulate so for somebody that might be listening to this that's thinking it sounds a little bit like me but that doesn't feel like me what do you feel like when you're in a bad mental health place it obviously manifests itself in making yourself sick usually for me whenever i sort of relapse into it it's when i think i have to control things because things aren't going the way i want them to a big trigger for me is actually money i get that whenever i feel like oh i spent too much this week or i've not got enough to save up for the rest of the month that will trigger me and i think it's just the sense of losing control and it's wanting to gain that back I don't understand why I do it sometimes. I'll, I'll look and go, what are you doing, Jodie? Sort yourself out. This is not right. I don't know why I do it. It just helps. It's really weird. Jodie, I don't know if you've seen this. The Hannah Tyrrell, she plays for Ireland, plays rugby, and she basically did, it must have been like five, six years ago, she did a video about eating disorder and how she coped with it and how rugby helped her through it but it's quite an emotional video and she did about campaign it was like hashtag tackle don't know if it was their feelings or tackle your feelings and it's basically looking at how we feel as rugby players and people feel about mental health but like I'll send you the link and if anybody wants it that listens it's really moving and she said that rugby really like helped her battle through the illness and gave us some coping mechanisms you know heather fish play sevens was just retired recently heather fisher yeah yeah fisher sorry so it was around about that time where i saw an article and she came out well she said that she suffered with anorexia and i realized that even though you are a rug player even though you're tough and obviously you have this sort of exterior of being a tough person you can still struggle with your mental health and i think when i found out she still struggled despite being like this amazing rugby player this amazing person so when I quite looked up to was that was sort of the point where I realized that okay maybe I can have any disorder maybe this is this is what it is maybe this is my bulimia how has the rugby environment helped or hindered your mental health Jodie it goes both ways it can be really helpful because it maintains my fitness so I don't feel so overweight sometimes and I know eating sores about how you feel mentally when I feel fat and disgusting and just not beautiful that's a big trigger so being able to play rugby and keeping myself fit is helpful but then I will also turn it on its head and abuse rugby in order to it's a sort of part of the eating disorder it's like you need to exercise you don't deserve to eat if you don't exercise so that's kind of in itself a catch-22 whether it's a good thing Mm. and a bad thing sometimes so how could the environment be better for you? So then a rugby team out there was was listening, um, and obviously our team as well, and thought, right, we've got somebody in the squad that's got an eating disorder. What can we do as a squad to make the environment better? Being able to notice when someone's got an eating disorder play a good start. I think it's hard to realise because people come off as normal. And a lot of time people with eating disorders are a normal weight so it's hard to notice that I do struggle when it comes to after game meals that is such a struggle for me because I have an issue where I can't eat in front of people and if I do I can't eat the full plate because I don't like people to think oh god she's just eating all that that big girl oh no wonder she's so fat with all that she's just eaten so when it comes to food it's such a struggle for me I think maybe making it yeah more of an accepting place during after after game meals but I don't know how you'd go about doing that yeah 
a big thing is about recognizing in others when they're in a bad place and often one of the big triggers is they're absent i think i've noticed that in the past when players are, are absent and go missing and don't respond to messages and suddenly don't participate in activities and so on that's a big trigger for me but there are plenty of people around us that are present are to all intents and purpose as before but maybe are struggling a little bit in some areas is it the sort of thing where we want to be more open about our own situations one of the things i'm really an advocate of is really normalizing not talking about having a mental illness but talking about what that actually looks and feels like because that was a real shock to me when it happened how about you dubs i mean i don't know you very well so what's your experience been of this partly i think i started playing rugby to try and kind of balance the mental health effects of my job because it was all i was doing was working and so sean had said to me my husband was like you need to do something that isn't work because it's kind of consuming your life and you're it's making you miserable so actually Rugby has massively helped me in terms of that kind of helping balance that mental health side of things. And I know that if I'm not feeling great, you know, as you said about people not going to training and things like that, I do withdraw. You know, I don't I don't want to talk about it. I don't really talk too much about how I feel. So actually just coming and playing is a big thing. Not having to think about it, I think sometimes is I, I'm I'm a big, oh, I'll just distract myself with something else, which isn't always a healthy way of dealing with it. But actually, sometimes it's nice just to say, you know what, for the hour and a half that we're training or the, you know, when we're playing, I'm not having to think about all of the things that are going on in my life. I can just focus on rugby and realise that actually there are some really positive things and I think the rugby team is a really is a really you know great thing for that in terms of a support network but also I think sometimes it's knowing that even if I don't want to talk about it there's people around that are kind of going through similar things or even if you just want to go for a walk one day you don't have to talk about what's bothering you but just have a support network available you know the more kind of you talk to people in your team people will tell you things that you didn't necessarily know about them so that it's almost like that I suppose they're testing you in terms of kind of disclosure type thing so I think for me rugby has been a massively helpful thing in that respect because it does enable me to kind of switch off from day-to-day problems I think in terms of where I am now I think I changed my job in September and that's had a massively positive impact (laughs) so when Lou and Matt you've both been saying about your kind of jobs it really really changed kind of how I'm you know enjoying life a bit more now so I think kind of recognizing the amount of impact that work because you're you're in it for so long so many hours a day I feel a lot more positive than I did this time last year when I was basically saying I I just want to quit my job because I hate it so much so I'm in a really different position to Jodie but also I think yeah I think for me it's it's quite an honor when kind of Jodie talks about things like that because you think actually you're trusting me with that information and it means that I really value that and I think it does you know hopefully Jodie, that will help that we understand what causes you stress and try and eliminate that in some way. I think one thing that I find really interesting, professionally speaking, is I often look at the guys at my work who are either on a comparable level to me or more senior than me. And I think, God, these guys have got their shit together. They're really good at what they do. I'm an utter fraud in my job. I'm basically blagging it and really not very good at what I'm doing. I'm hanging on by the skin of my teeth. I'm going to get found out sooner or later. So when I hear people like you used to talk about how you've struggled with not just motivation, but you know maybe working too hard, maybe taking it too seriously, maybe feeling 
mentally that it's affecting you in some way, that actually massively helps because you realize that actually people around you aren't necessarily super people. It's almost like the social media thing, isn't it? You know, you look at picture of somebody hot and on the beach in Dubai and you think oh, I wish I had their life in, in work you often think that as well you look at people thinking god oh, they're amazing they're so professional they're wearing the right clothes they're brilliant at presenting they're really well thought of with everybody else but actually inside they're probably having all the same turmoils that we're having that imposter syndrome is a massive thing I would imagine most people actually feel that yeah I definitely feel that and like I don't really know what I'm doing and, <laughs> and someday somebody's going to figure this out and I think actually, again, that's where rugby can be really helpful because it's a real level playing field. So, you know, again, going to the weight perceptions and social media and kind of how you feel about yourself. I think it probably took until I started playing rugby to feel more confident with my body shape as well, because I've always felt bigger than other people and my friends are kind of really slim. So I've always felt really chunky. And then when you're in rugby, you kind of think, well, actually, that's a real advantage. Yeah. <laughs> and And actually, it's a strength of mine yeah so the rugby has kind of helped with that because you kind of feel like well actually you can't necessarily feel like an imposter in rugby because yeah. it would be seen mm. so actually when you're there and, and you're playing it's because you are valued and because you're good at what you're doing so and you know that doesn't mean that you don't go oh god I had a terrible game today but I think from both of those perspectives I think that's really helped me yeah Molly, Lou, Jodie, you've, you, you know, you've been up and down a little bit with your weight, haven't you? And, and certainly myself, you know, we're, we're, we're not exactly size eights. Um, what do you mean, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> I think one of my legs or my calves might be a size eight, but... We talk about recognising the power of our bodies, don't we? But does rugby help us love our bodies in a really positive way or is it a kind of sports only way? I don't know. I really admire Lou. And I've always admired Lou because Lou is so positive and kind of like, I've got what I've got and I'll I'll love it and I'll use it to my advantage. When we played together, Louise literally has a I don't give a fuck attitude. And I've always been really envious of that because I personally will look at myself and think, oh, like a bit like what Jodie says, not to the extreme of Jodie, but like, and the same as Dubs, I've always been bigger and on the rugby pitch, I use that to my advantage. But sometimes even when you're in the showers, I think, oh, God, they're dead thin or my bum's huge or, you know what I mean? Whereas Lou literally will walk in and she she doesn't care about anything like that and she loves herself. And I know, obviously, Lou's not like that all the time, but I just really admire how Louise is. I love pies. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> no, I haven't always been like that. But I have a friend called Sarah who really is like that. I mean, utterly like that. She is like, yeah, I'm a big girl. And you know what? If you don't like it, well, that's your problem, not mine, because I'm happy the way I look. And I take a lot of inspiration from her, actually. And you know what? I'm quite happy with the way I look. Oh, yeah. You know, we all say the same things. We like to change this. We like to be a bit slimmer there or a bit less belly or a bit more boob or whatever. Do you know? But I'm not going to kill myself stressing over changing. And if you don't like it, then that's your problem. Yeah. And I love that. It's, it's so hard to get to that point, though, sometimes, isn't it? It is It is a very difficult place to get to. Yeah. But once you're there, don't get me wrong, you do have your moments <laughs> when you're like, oh, Jesus, God, this way When you're trying to, to get your wetsuit on or off after Oh, God, don't. <laughs> yeah, I know. But also, I'm fairly well insulated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very easy to spot and very hard to kidnap. So there are advantages. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've noticed since losing weight. Fucking cold all the time. It's horrible. 
See, and I'm saving yeah. money on my gas and electricity. I don't need to put the heating on some more. Well, here's a question, Jodie. Do you love your body more now you've lost weight? No, I hate it even more now. Weird, isn't it? That is really weird. Yeah, I suffer with a lot of pain in my bones, and I've got to have a pillow between my knees now because my knees hurt and I'm sleeping. Because your thigh gap. Yeah, well, it's not really a thigh, but my knee's fucking bony and horrible. My body feels less comfortable. That's really interesting. Do you think that some people then, they basically diet or starve or exercise themselves to a state where their body is no longer the right shape for their genetics in a way? Definitely, people will. Their appearance is more important than how they feel sometimes crazy one of the key things is about how people react as well so mm. when I first started playing rugby I lost weight not consciously but I think just because I was doing more exercise and everyone was coming up to me and going oh my god you look really great so nobody ever comes up to you and goes oh you've put on a bit of weight you look really great <laughs> <laughs> and I think that it really makes me kind of think like even now because I try not to encourage that and when people are talking about dieting and things like that because I just think it, it's not a great um, headspace to get into in terms of yeah restricting or punishing yourself for eating that's not how we should be trying to live our lives but it is it is how other people react and it really made me think every you know everybody was coming up to me going oh you look great because and I was like I know that's because I've lost some weight um, and it makes you go well what did I look like before you know <laughs> was everybody going oh my god you looked terrific before but now I'm just gonna compliment you so I think, yeah, it's it's externally what people say to you as well as kind of internally about how you feel. I think people should never comment on your weight, even if you've lost weight, because you don't know what's going on in their life at all. If you want to comment on what they look like, nice hair, or you look happy, something on that, it shouldn't be about appearance because it can be really triggering for some people. I know myself, whenever someone comments that, on my weight, that sort of infuels me a little bit. It becomes so binary, doesn't it? You're either fat or you're not. You know, I remember when I was growing up, I was always called Fat Matt. It was always the joke, I was Fat Matt, you know. I look back at pictures, I was like 12, 13 stone back then, you know, same height. And people calling me Fat Matt. So I was, if you like, fat from being a very, very healthy weight to now where I'm not a healthy weight. And it was just a binary term. So I guess you kind of mentally become that fat person, even though there are times where you're not that fat person at all. You're actually... A healthy weight for your frame because your frame's big and my frame is and will always be big you know you always feel like you're not quite right in some respects and that stays with you for your life doesn't it yeah it becomes your little voice in your head we're joined today by meg and tom who have started a really important group called rugby talks it very much looks at mental health within the game and i'm delighted to have them on today to tell us a bit about their journey so welcome to you both hello i'm matt thanks for having us on my opening question to both of you is tell us a little bit about rugby talks what is it and what are you trying to achieve with it so we've created a facebook group which just allows the rugby community a safe space to get things off their chest we've got like 200 members in there as it stands we're aiming to grow as much as possible people can get things off their chest and talk about their mental health and they can help others why have you chosen rugby as the central point for this group we're both passionate about rugby a lot of our friends are in the rugby community and i think it's just you know what the rugby community is like everyone pulls together everyone's there for each other i couldn't think of another community like that to be honest so if you want to get things off your chest you just know the rugby community is never going to judge you for doing that. Meg, a question for you. Talk me through your journey with this. Why have you got involved with this particular project? I think it mainly started, I was about 13, 14, so I was quite young. 
and previously to me different mental health issues within in our family so before I started suffering with anxiety before I noticed my mum had actually been quite poorly so she I guess she had a breakdown if you like but at the time it was very hidden away from me because I was so young didn't really understand what was going on and then a few years later I became quite unwell stopped going to school stopped leaving the house and it was something that I'd never experienced before and I didn't know anybody else that had ever experienced anything like it at the time and still now social media was sort of a very big part of my life and everybody was putting all the good things on social media you know how amazing their weekend had been and all the great things that they were doing and I was sat at home and I was thinking I feel so rubbish I've got nobody to share it with I didn't have a very good group of friends at the time I'd started to write a blog and I thought you know what I'm gonna write how I feel it's really scary but actually it's great sharing all the great things that are going on in life but what about all the rubbish things that are going on why are we not sharing these things with each other because it happens we just don't talk about it so I wanted to try and create a space where people were able to say I'm really struggling today or do you feel like this as well because I honestly thought I was going crazy I really thought genuinely at the time that I really was going crazy because nobody spoke about it so that was my main driving force really if somebody else reads this and reads oh okay Meg's feeling anxious today I am as well I'm not necessarily brave enough to put it out there but she's feeling the same way I'm feeling and I always used to take a little bit of comfort from that really what has rugby done to help you on that journey I guess around the time I started to feel quite anxious I started to go to the rugby I think I started watching the World Cup in 2011 it was just something that I became sort of fixated with watching I just really really enjoyed it then started going to games with my dad we've always had a really good relationship but rugby really really brought me and my dad close together really I started going to games it really was the only thing at the time that I found enjoyment from it was like that 80 minutes of I'm not worrying about anything I'm not worrying about feeling anxious I'm just here in the moment we're all here we're supporting our team and it was just such a great feeling and at the time I'd got nothing else that was making me feel like that. I think to reinforce how our paths have inadvertently crossed over the years I picked up your Twitter feeds after some fundraising work you did some time ago you'll no doubt give me the figures involved but you raised a scary amount of money for young minds through Twitter and various other means a little while ago I remember being really humbled by how you'd gone about that and how you'd been very honest and open with your struggles as well as the joy of fundraising and giving something back so we fast forward a few years later I myself had a breakdown about three years ago combination of factors I'd always had pretty good mental health but I had noticed that I was feeling depressed after a number of years not really looking after myself working very hard young family and so on and my job was brutal putting it mildly and I broke down I had a, a quite a nasty breakdown ended up in a pretty bad way on some pretty nasty medication for a while as well and I remember I put it out there I followed your lead through my own social media and put it out there and I was really shocked by the number of people who wrote to me independently with their stories people who I'd always looked at as having perfect lives, having amazing jobs, great families, loads of money, you know, look good, all that sort of stuff. I saw them as being really successful people. And yet there they were messaging me privately saying, I wish I'd had the courage to say what you said, because that's not been my life at all. And that was really shocking. And that very much came from your lead. 
I'm not exaggerating that. So it's so important. And it, you're absolutely right, Tom, when you say at the start, it can change lives. Similar story to Meg's really about those 80 minutes going to watch the rugby just being the most carefree 80 minutes I have in the week, if that makes sense. My dad, he won't mind me saying this, my dad's a very hard man. He's a very old-fashioned, strict man. And I never had the best of relationships with him. And he never really understood mental health. And to be honest, probably still doesn't. But those 80 minutes that I'd spend with my dad at the wreck on a Saturday or Friday night, whatever it may be, they were the best 80 minutes of the week. And it's what bonded me more with my dad. And to be honest, that's why rugby's so special to me. It's not the only thing because, like we've said, the rugby community is fantastic. I had the same experience as you, Matt. Put my mental health problems out there because social media is a big outlet for me. The amount of people that took the time to message me privately to reply to the tweet, you know, it just blew me away. We all had one thing in common and we all love rugby. And to me, that's why rugby talk why we're kicking on because the rugby community is the best community in the world. Absolutely. The interesting dimension to this, though, is within the game probably less so in women's rugby, but certainly within the game generally, it's not been well talked about. So people have been going along to games, training, playing, watching, coaching, refereeing, whatever it is, and using that safe space as their outlet and their an element of their lives that's good and enjoyable, but then going away from that and feeling unwell again. It's been really interesting how the rugby community is starting to, dare I say, muddle their way through actually using the environment to address mental health direct. What's been your experience of that through the work that you've been doing? Like you say, there are a lot of people through the rugby community where players, refs, whatever, it's seen as quite a macho environment, especially in the men's game. And historically, men do not talk about their mental health men don't cry, which can't be further from the truth. Um, And I just think the way the world is going, you know, it's more accepted these days. If you have got anxiety, depression, you're taking antidepressants, it is more accepted. And I think there are people that I have had messages from, people that you think they're perceived as quite old school. And they're like, no, I completely understand. I've been there. If you need to talk, I'm here. It's fantastic. And I think the work that a lot of the big charities do, the RPA do, you know, they make you think in a rugby context that there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to be scared to talk about your mental health. And actually, a lot of people now do accept it. Even if they've never met you before, they will be there for you. Yeah, I think that's how I found it as we've been going on this for me, very short journey so far because I've jumped on the fantastic work Meg has already done. And, you know, it is fantastic work. I'm kind of living off of her hard working glories, to be honest. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Meg, interested in your comments on this. So one thing I found really difficult when I was in a situation that I hadn't found myself in before was actually knowing how to talk about it. I found it very difficult to articulate myself. I found myself in a doctor's surgery. I couldn't even tell the doctor what my name was because I was crying hysterically, shaking, not able to think clearly at all, which is obviously the starting point. But after that, actually telling people what I was feeling, how I was feeling, what it was making me think about myself and the world around me, I found incredibly difficult. How has your experience been of that? I had a very similar experience in the sense that when it's something you've never experienced before, it's so difficult when you don't understand it yourself to then explain it to somebody else because a lot of the time even now sometimes I just feel anxious for no apparent reason and 
And people will say, well, well, why? What's wrong? And nothing's wrong. It's so difficult to articulate when you don't really understand yourself. For me personally, that's where social media was a big saviour for me because it's a lot easier to write it down than it is to say out loud. Yeah, I just find very much I'd say, you know, I'm feeling anxious today or any physical symptoms that I'm having. I tend to get, for example, really tingly fingers when I feel anxious. And I I remember once saying to somebody, is that normal? Does that happen to you as well? And they'll say, oh, oh, yeah, that happens to me as well. And it's horrible. You know, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but I think that's where the talking and even the simplest of things by saying do you get this as well getting that little bit of comfort from somebody else very much made me more confident in going on social media and saying okay I'm having a really bad day today or I really struggled at the rugby today once you start it does become a lot easier because I found personally that other people would say oh I feel like that as well or I get a really dry mouth or whatever it may be. I find that a really positive experience, actually. I think what's interesting about what you've just said there, it's it's got me thinking that often the person that's trying to help with the very best of intentions, Mm -hmm. they want to help fix something. And they want to find a way of taking away the cause of the anxiety or the pressure that you're feeling under. Mm -hmm. Whereas actually just sharing the symptoms of what you're physically going through is really interesting. As you're mentioning about, tingling fingers i personally feel like i have an electric pulse going down my right arm and sometimes having somebody that recognizes that as a symptom of anxiety or maybe medication withdrawal you know this morning i forgot to take a tablet yesterday and i woke up this morning feeling incredibly anxious sweating like you say dry mouth i had this electrical pulse feeling in my right arm and if somebody says yeah that's exactly what happens to me this is how i deal with it they can't take away the root cause of the anxiety because sometimes there is no root cause of the anxiety itself it's the way your brain's wired well, not wired. <laughs> so on that note, we have this discussion in the rugby team a great deal about how we can make it an environment that's helpful for people with mental health issues. What would be your advice to somebody in a rugby club that's got a friend who's struggling with anxiety or depression? I think the first step is the most difficult in saying that, okay, I'm feeling a certain way because I think I've had experience where people have said to me before, when I say it out loud, it makes it real. But I can't emphasise enough how important it is to talk, to just tell somebody the relief that you feel. I mean, I still do it now. Sometimes my mum only has to look at me and say, just tell me what's the matter. And the relief that you feel just from saying it and just letting someone know that, no, I'm not okay. And no, I don't necessarily need you to do anything to fix it because you can't. But I just need you to be here. I need you just, even just to sit with me in silence, that's fine. But just to know that you've got someone there. And if you need them, they're there. I would definitely, definitely say talk to them. I would also say there are lots and lots of charities out there that do incredible work. That's why I started fundraising for Young Minds. A big driver for me was they do a lot of work with parents as well. And I know when I was going through my anxiety phase, I know my mum and dad would have found that extremely helpful because it wasn't just me going through it, it was them. So they are amazing. And there's lots and lots of other charities that just do incredible work. Even on their website, they've got self-help tips, there's breathing techniques. There is places that you can go, but I really can't emphasise enough how important it is just to tell someone that you trust. I really think you'll be surprised at their reaction, really. Absolutely. Looking at 
the rugby game itself then, and obviously you guys, Tom, you're not a player, or you haven't played before? Not since school, no. Fine. So you guys might not be able to answer this because you're not as close to it as I am, but what do you think the game itself can do to prevent people from opting out due to their mental health? We do have situations quite regularly where players go missing, they disappear for periods of time because something is triggering their anxiety within the club. What advice can you give to clubs to be a better environment to avoid these situations, to work with these situations, probably a better way of playing yeah. Yeah, I've not played since school, but I do. Obviously, I've got friends that do play, and one of them came on a live broadcast on our group a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying that he used to play and he's now a coach. But at the start of every session, they just training session, they go around, make sure everything's okay. How are you feeling? You know, so that it makes you feel like the club is there for you and they will support you. So I think just checking in every now and again, it certainly makes me feel better you know that there are people there for you just trying to make the club that you're involved in a safe space all anyone wants is a safe space when they're feeling low when they're anxious and yeah just showing support really actually not having been in that environment it is really hard for me to say and it would be a little contradictive for me to say this should be happening because it could already be happening you know I've not been in that environment how about from your perspective Meg I mean again I must reiterate what Tom says I've never played the games this may already be happening I think from an outsider looking in I guess education is a big big thing so clubs might not necessarily be saying to sort of each individual player okay are you feeling okay today you know because some people they might not be in a place where they feel comfortable to openly talk about it so perhaps generally speaking to them and saying okay if you are struggling you can go here or you can speak to this person and just having that general education around maybe even having some coaches a mental health first aid trained so that although you're not directly going to a player and them shying away from it you're generally speaking so that they know that they've got somewhere to go a lot of people would find a lot of comfort with that there's a place for them to go and i think that's really important yeah i completely endorse that one of the big challenges in rugby is that it can be quite aggressive a lot of that's due to the nature of the game but also because when you're training a group of people in a contact sport you haven't got the luxury of time and space to choose the right words, to choose the right environment, you're going to shout at people because you have to. And there's also a safety element to it as well. That can sometimes come across as a confrontation. There's also things around selection. So the squad that I'm involved in, we've got 40, 45 registered players or something. We can only select 23 on match day. So that means there are times where we have to let players down and that creates a situation where players become quite anxious about their status within the squads, quite upset when they're not picked for games it also makes people question their self-worth a lot when they're feeling like they're struggling in a group of players that they perceive to be better than them often by the way they are better players and they realize a lot of the time it's a real challenge to find that line between we've got a game on the weekend we've got to get up for it and looking after the players inside and outside of the game and I think also male coaches probably, go back to your point, Meg, I think it was really valid, about being mental health trained. I think for male coaches, being being trained in how to think about the women's game differently, I think it's really important. It's really difficult, isn't it? It's, there's a lot of things I think clubs can be doing. It's having the funds and the facilities to be able to do it as well. So looking at your rugby talks then, where do you want that to be in the next six months or so? What would good look like for you? With rugby talk, we just want to keep growing 
the brand, as it were, you know, the more people we reach, the more people we're going to help. The reason I've jumped on board is so I can help people as well as Meg that's raised all these thousands of pounds for young minds. I just want to be able to help people. My mental health is most stable when I'm helping people. Rugby talks in six months time. We want to be helping people. We want to be getting more money in to help for charities, big fundraising events, grow the brand. We're going to help more people. To me, anyway, it's all about helping. Yeah, so that's where I want it to go in six months' time. Sounds like a, I would say, modest ambition, given what you've managed <laughs> to achieve so far. You say modest, but you know, there's only so much myself and Meg do, cat or can do. You know, the people that are part of Rugby Talks and makes Rugby Talks what it is, they're the main contributors to actually helping people. All really myself and Meg do is administrate rugby talks administrate the facebook group we can be there for people what is surprised me and i'm quite overwhelmed by is people wanting to help complete strangers yeah that's just fantastic meg big part of your life's been fundraising hasn't it yeah how much have you raised to date then so the last time that i checked we were at eleven thousand nine hundred and fifty. wow so i started this back in 2014 i want to say i've done sort of little bit here and there, sort of in between, but this is the page I started and I've continued throughout. Wow, amazing. How does that make you feel when you see that number? It makes me feel really quite humbled in a really bizarre way because literally, I mean this from the bottom of my heart and so genuinely that really all I did was let a just give him page up and speak to really kind people rugby players and clubs and everybody else sort of has raised that money all I did was set the page up and facilitate it everybody else has always been so kind with providing auction items bidding on auction items sharing it for me so it makes me feel really proud of the community that I have come from as as Tom said before it's just incredible and I just feel really privileged very lucky Honestly, it's fantastic. And I've tried fundraising myself and the maximum I've ever raised is about 900 quid or something, which I was pretty proud of at the time. But to to get to 11,000 plus from, dare I say it, randoms, yes, it's a community, but these aren't people you've met personally a lot of the time, are they? These are people that have seen your cause, responded to the call to arms and dug into their pocket. I think people are very good at sharing information and putting Mm -hmm. change of status to this and all the rest of it, but actually getting their wallet out putting the, the big number of their card into just giving and click send, it seems to be beyond them. <laughs> so to get to the point where people are actually doing that, that's really quite something, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And people have always been nothing but kind, which is why still now when I share the page and people will retweet it for me or whatever it may be, it genuinely really humbles me because people are just so kind. And without those people, that page would still be sitting at zero. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I've absolutely loved talking to you. It's great to hear from people who are doing something that's essentially selfless. I mean, I know you both are getting a lot out of it as well, but really, as you say, Tom, helping just one person is enough sometimes, isn't it? I always think of the people that reach out to me and how it made me feel. Ever since that, I've made it an aim of mine to try and do the same in return so if we're all passing on that message then it can only do good in the world can't it yeah exactly i mean as much as i love to help people sometimes it does get a little 
tough. You know, we had a couple of live guests now on our Facebook page. It seems to have got tougher and tougher for me anyway, listening to these people that on occasions I've known, but taking some of the stuff in that they're feeling comfortable to share. To me, it is overwhelming. Um, I don't know what Meg feels, but, you know, you once you get past that, you've got this sense of a little bit of relief that they feel comfortable enough to share their story with you. When I went through my lowest point, it took a long time for me to get over the stigma in my own mind, being depressed and having anxiety. Only to me, there was a massive stigma. I finally taught myself that talking is good. And like Meg said earlier, you may not be able to explain how you're feeling, but knowing there's someone there willing to listen, and even if you get the slightest thing off your chest, uh, it makes a massive difference. So if somebody wants to join your page, how do they go about it? If they just search Rugby Talks on Facebook, they can request to join and then me or Meg will approve them. We haven't had to reject anyone yet. No one's tried selling um, sunglasses. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, we, we haven't rejected anyone yet and we won't. We're on Instagram, which is at underscore Rugby Talks. We're also on Twitter at rugby talks one we do have an email address as well if you want to help or you've got any ideas how we can make rugby talks better that is rugby talks one at gmail.com i'll put all the details in the show notes so if you want to, to look it up just go to castbox or spotify or whatever platform you're using and they'll all be there for you to take down as well and meg your just giving page how can people donate their hard-earned cash to such a worthy mm-hmm. cause so you will find my just giving page on my personal Twitter. So if you just search for, so I'm underscore Meg Stevens. If you just search for that and then in my bio, you'll just see um, in the link section, all in blue. And then if you click on it, it should hopefully send you um, directly to my page. So big shout out to all of our listeners then. Even just £5 makes a massive difference to these sorts of fundraisers. You know, we've got hundreds of people listening to the show every week and it doesn't take much to make a real change and uh, help make continue the great work. So thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. And, you know, last question for me is, who's going to win the Premiership? Because it isn't going to be Bath. Harlequin <laughs> all the way. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. I'll be glad if we can... Um, go for a game of rugby without conceding over 30 points. <laughs> yeah, Tom, that's not going to happen anytime soon, mate. So, Molly, you talked a little bit about OCD last time we spoke about mental health. Obviously, OCD's joked about quite a lot, and I guess it's the same as any mental health disorder that it's maybe not really understood until you've had it or known somebody. And it's always like a joke where people go, Oh, yeah, I'm a bit OCD about this. And it's kind of off the cuff because they think it's just people tidying up or ordering their items of clothing into a nice rugby kit, horrible rugby kit, and everything's perfectly folded or whatever. And it's not like that. So obviously David Beckham and Johnny Wilkinson are quite open about like superstitions and OCD that they had. And Johnny Wilkinson got to the stage where he couldn't leave the pitch until he'd done so many kicks. It got that bad for him. And I guess OCD and anxiety is wrapped up in one. And I always used to be really kind of ashamed that I had OCD because it was joked about like, oh, yeah, you've got to check the tap 10 times or whatever. But it's more like the thought process behind it. If I'm anxious before a game, I can need to check the door 
however many times until I feel it's okay or I can need to make sure that my bag's packed about 20 times and I know we were joking about the fact that my boots have to be tied in a certain way or you know I have to make sure that I've got certain socks or certain pants and then I had a meltdown in the changing rooms yesterday because I've got my bloody socks I was like dubs I've got no socks and to me that was a massive thing whereas to dubs she was like oh I've got a spare mate it's fine but for people that don't understand OCD it's more the kind of intrusive thought that you've done something bad or you're not a good person or some really horrible stuff that you would never even want to say out loud and everyone sees me as this person that rocks up to rugby puts in a performance doesn't give a shit a bit like what you said about Heather Fisher Jody but every game I will go home Every game I'll sit there and I will analyse the game to the nth degree of, oh, well, I missed that tackle, I didn't do that. And I think there was a game where I scored a hat-trick, I got player of the match and I got my team's player of the match and I went home and cried because it wasn't good enough for me. I can't explain it, but it's like irrational thoughts of perfection and also some really scary things that go with it. I remember Um, when you, so again, for the listeners, Molly was elected intergalactic player of the year or, or something like intergalactic that <laughs> at the national rugby awards a couple of years ago and we had a great day out went to twickenham louise your day wasn't quite as good as everybody else's was it but that's probably a story for another podcast <laughs> it involved the aa some tie-lines a lot of crying hold on a minute i had to change a tire in full makeup and a dress kneeling on a bag for life <laughs> a service station <laughs> Not knowing where the fuck I was, whilst crying, and there were like cars parked around me, and people like not helping me. And then three trains, two tubes, and a long fucking walk. Yeah. To be fair, your was entrance day. was the stuff of legends. <laughs> yeah, it the was. doors flew the doors open. Flew, the doors flew open. There was this like massive light, like when God appears or something. You know, and he sort of strolls. Oh, yeah, it was. Has arrived. Strolled in, like right. Where's the where's gin? The gin? <laughs> or worse to that effect. <laughs> and I hope you saved me some food. That was it, Starving. yeah. Exactly, yeah. We, we, we screwed away some food for you. But anyway, go back to, anyway, to sorry, the point. Yeah. I remember you, Molly, when you won that award, we were there, you know, whilst you, know, you never expect to win, I suppose, I knew you remember the good shout because it was a good story. You know, we had a great season. You were definitely a prime candidate for that kind of award. But I remember you crying your eyes out afterwards and it was like you just felt like you didn't deserve it. And it was like, no, you really do. Going back to what you and Dub said about like imposter syndrome, I don't know. I felt more like I'd won it for us as a team. And that sounds really stupid and really, I'm a little bit selfless, but no matter how many compliments somebody gives me, my OCD will always talk me down and always degrade it and make out that there's some loophole in it to why it shouldn't have happened, etc. And like I say, it sounds really horrendous, but I'm really lucky. My best friends and Dubs is always there for me, Louise, etc. And I know obviously me and Jodie have become closer friends uh, since doing the pod, but even you, Matt, you all know that I've got OCD and you all know that sometimes I need a bit of extra support, but we kind of joke about it. But it'd be like little things like when Holland's head comes to pick me up, she knows that I can't leave the house without checking the door. So she'll like grab my bag for me and then say, I'll go get in the car and she'll do it for me, which is not always good for OCD people, but actually she knows me and she knows that I really struggle when I'm getting ready for rugby. Like Josh will go around and check everything for me and 
things like that because they know that my anxiety hits a high because I'm worried about putting a performance in. I just think, like Jodie said, it's really important for your teammates to know what they need to do to make it okay for you. Yeah. And I know if Dubs is having a tough week, me going up to her and asking her if she's okay or what can I do is not helpful. But giving her a pat on the arse and saying, let's go do it will help. So it's really about learning them. Yeah, giving yeah. the space to sit in the changing rooms and not necessarily communicate with anybody. Just go through her own mental process before a game is really key, isn't it? Yeah. The problem must be, though, that your house has never burned down there, Mol. The thing is that sometimes I can get myself into that much of a state that I just am so exhausted that I'll just fall asleep and I'll leave a candle on or I'll fucking leave the door open or I've not fed the dog because my brain's ticking that much and I've been exhausted myself and I'll just sit there crying until I fall asleep. So not yet, Jodie, but if it does, I need to take it up with the OCD people and say I should never have a house burned down. Do you not think as well, Jodie, that Molly actually lives with Mr Bean himself? He set fire to himself. Yeah, the chance of him burning the house down is probably quite high, so there's some necessary checks in there at some point. Rugby is hard enough without your equipment letting you down. From badly fitting shirts to shorts that cut off your circulation, many sportswear manufacturers haven't worked out how to make kit that fits for the rich variety of women's shapes and sizes. After years of development, feedback and research, Halbro have done what many bigger sportswear brands have yet to achieve. Designed a playing kit specifically to fit the female form. With curves in all the right places, four-way stretch and a cut to suit all shapes and sizes, Halbro are uniquely placed to give your team the shirts they deserve. For more information, contact Fergus at halbro.com. To learn more about what Hellbro can do for you and to see some amazing case studies, visit www.hellbro.com forward slash women's hyphen rugby and don't forget to mention grassroots. Lou, you talked a little bit about depression post-children. That's something that a lot of women go through, isn't it? Well, I wouldn't say I had postnatal depression, but I have struggled with depression over the years. I don't often talk about my feelings or anything like that very often and I'm not very open about that that really stems from being from a family that just doesn't talk about that sort of stuff you know I'm from a family of really tough women and we just get our heads down and get on with life you know and if you're feeling a bit crap then just get your head down and get on with life but yeah and so I have struggled a little bit over the past years with depression and I think it has been after children and I think it's just because sort of life has taken over bringing up children has taken over your life and you've sort of lost an identity of who you really are yourself and actually what's really helped me is actually coming to rugby rugby's always been my passion I think when you're not feeling great, it's easy to not go to rugby. It's easy to not go to training. It's easy to shut yourself off because if you don't want to talk about it, you certainly don't want to surround yourself with people who want to talk about it or want to help. You just just want to go home and just keep it to yourself. Well, that's certainly I do anyway, but I'm sure I'm not alone. But one one particular time, I, I you know, I hadn't been to rugby for quite some time. And actually, it was you, Matt, who messaged me to say, Oh, there used to be a woman called Lou who used to come to rugby. Are you coming back or what? <laughs> actually, that one message actually made me go, do you know what? I am going to go back to rugby. It's going to be t- tough. 
but I did and I'm really glad I did because actually rugby is my happy place you know like Jordan North's Turf Moor rugby is my happy place and you can kind of forget you your worries and your troubles when you're at rugby you can just put it all behind you forget about all the shit going on at home and just enjoy yourself go training play games have some banter drink a few pints do stupid stuff and it's like a few hours off real life that's how it has been for me in the past anyway I'm in a really good place actually at the moment I have had an interlude of being injured from playing rugby which has not been great because obviously I've not had that happy place of going to rugby because I can't walk I did struggle a little bit not going to rugby but I included other rugby things in my life I went and watched the men's first team play so that was my rugby fix for the week you know so sometimes it's it's a struggle to force myself to go but every time I'm really glad I do. Clubs have a little bit of responsibility to help people back into the sport when they've had periods of time out through injury children and things like that it's a little bit like you know when you say oh how are you doing we'd like to see you whatever you almost feel a bit embarrassed to send that message and then what probably happens if the person at the other end's in the middle of wiping up sick or something from the latest norovirus that's come home from school or something you read the message and you think oh I'm, I'm far too busy for this and you don't maybe follow it up but actually i know from personal experience when you're in the midst of a young family you do need extra coaxing and you maybe need somebody to give you a lift to training and you maybe need a coach to recognize that you can only do half sessions and things like that you need somebody on the pitch with a watch to tell you when you a certain time comes to leave the session and so on and you do need a little bit of extra help and support when you first come back to the game after a period of time out i think definitely clubs could be better at that and also actually you need a supportive partner to help you do that as well so often the responsibility is all on the mother I know I was personally made to feel fairly guilty about leaving my kids to go and play rugby so that was always a battle but yeah yeah so it does help if you're with someone who understands what rugby means to you and if you're not then that's very challenging isn't it and that's definitely a a whole episode's worth (laughs) yeah I reckon we need a couple yeah for sure I, Mm. I definitely think so it's a recurring theme isn't it He's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I the rock, I the river, I the tree, I am yours. Your passages have been paid. Inch by inch, play by play, till we're finished. The Greeks had Socrates, Romans had Cicero, the French Descartes, and this is the Shakespeare of grassroots women's rugby. This is where legends are made. Shez says. I don't even know how What are your news resolutions then, Sherry? What are you going to do better this year? Yeah, well, Molly wouldn't print it. He had to come out with a second <laughs> to fuck people up who cut in front of me and go, my ball, when I've just done all the work. I'm actually going to tackle that fucker. If I've done all the work now, this season I've decided I'm not allowing that to happen anymore. I wouldn't allow it in Aldi, not allowing it on the pitch. I'm going to turn round and tackle my own teammate if they do that. So if you see me tackle one of two people in our team, you will know they are the people who have just let me get smashed a foot from one end to the other, but we're a metre from the try line now, so it's their ball. That will not be happening. But I wasn't allowed to have that. I had to choose a more politically correct one anyway. But mentally, that is the real one. I've decided I'm not having it no more. I've put up with it long enough. 
frustrating. <laughs> They're getting it. No, it isn't your fucking ball. That's what's going to happen. No, it is not. Why wasn't it your ball back there while I was getting trampled on by a 30 stoner? No, absolutely not. No. That's when it had chance to be your ball, not now. Mm. So anyway, I had to decide it was Sherry's going to be more Zoe. I'm going to work on my super strength. That was plan B. Maybe that is your super strength, yeah. though, Sherry. Can you get penalised for that? Can I get done for something if I tackle my own team? That's a really good point, actually. If you, if you just high-tackled one of your own teammates... Oh, any just, just tackled your own teammate, not high. Am I getting done for that? Because I've been done for everything else. There's got to be one that I've not done yet. Well, try it and see what happens. Well, keep you posted. If I get picked on Sunday, keep your eyes peeled. If you get picked on Sunday, we're, we're winning by 15, 20 points. It's not going to have a big impact on the game. Just take somebody out and see what happens. If it's a clean tackle, I can't see they've done anything wrong. Is there anywhere in the law book where it states you must tackle only the opposition? I, I don't know. As long as you roll away. <laughs> I'm not sure they need to specify that normally. Just saying. I don't think there's a lot of law that says you must only tackle the opposition. <laughs> that can't be a yellow card, not another. So, two topics today, really. One, mental health, which isn't very funny, has to be said. And then the other one we're going to talk about is we're going to start a, a series of sections to replace the 12 Finds of Christmas, where we talk about how to start a women's team. So, first of all, mental health. Have you got any experience of mental health? I find it really hard, actually, because I'm very upbeat. You know how I am all the time, nuts. I'm like that on the outside is sometimes, even when I'm not like that on the inside. So I find it hard to deal with that kind of thing because I'm not like that. Try and make, not a joke of it, but I would try and lighten the mood by being how I am, but that might not be the right approach. But I don't know how else to deal with it. Joking aside, I think actually your approach within the squad is massively important. You know when you were nominated for that award? Oh, yeah. One of the things that I thought was really worth mentioning was your role as general motivator within the team environment and people that go into the squad that are maybe not feeling themselves or had a bad day or week or worse only takes a car journey with you, Sherry, and <laughs> you realise how fortunate you are in life. <laughs> yeah. Who I am, or you are. <laughs> yeah, but I know, I know that, and but that's how I am anyway. That's what I'm saying. That might not actually be the right approach. I don't know how else to be. So if that's the right approach or not. I think if you were any other way than you normally are, Sherry, someone would think that there's something seriously exactly. wrong with exactly. Sherry Davis was ill. Even when I'm like that on the outside, there might be days where I've had some real shit go down. I wouldn't go to rugby training and start crying because I've had a really shit day, even though I have. And I don't feel like I'm forced to put a front on. It's just how I deal with things. I block things out. When I go to training, for instance, if something really bad has happened that day, I have to forget about that and pretend it's not happening and get on with what I'm doing right now. Did you find that rugby's helped your personal mental health? Because it takes your mind off stuff, doesn't it? It gives you something else to focus on. You know, while you're there with your mates and having a laugh and a joke and that, you forget about that thing today that might be worrying you, that might have been on my mind all day. Like whether Martin sold your house again without you knowing? Yeah, no, that's not happened recently. We're all good at the moment. <laughs> but yeah, you know what I mean? There might be something, but I'm just not a person who would go, look, Lou, have you got a minute? This has happened today. And I, I don't know why. I probably should be like that. I just, I'm just not. 
I think the key thing is is that you know that you can do that if you want to. This is the thing. I mean, you know, you don't feel like you need it right now, but there will be times where you know you feel like you do need to do that. And yeah. being in an environment and I know where you feel it's comfortable, not, it's not that I can't. I'm a bit of a bury your head in the sand kind of person and hope that thing goes away. That's how I am. Whatever that thing is, that's probably not even healthy. I just feel like if I pretend it's not going on, it'll fizzle out and I'll just carry on being crazy. A lot of the time it does happen. So if you're starting in women's team, Sherry, and you were in charge of the plan, what would be the first thing you'd recommend another team does? From the beginning, you would need to make it clear that it's none of this my bullshit. It's your ball if you got smashed to pieces getting it. You don't wait till you're at the try line, then say it's your ball, because that will aggravate people and somebody may get hurt. <laughs> so, so if you... <laughs> That's the very first thing yeah. you'd do, well, you Sherry, starting a new team. On the first game, <laughs> if they got tackled by their own teammate and broken... You could say, well, that was the first thing I told you not to do. You've only got yourself to blame. <laughs> what about in terms of the setup and the coaching and all that? You know, if there's a couple of coaches sat around a table somewhere at a club down the road and they're thinking, oh, let's set up a women's team. What would you say is the most important thing? It's, it's definitely got to be fun because life is too serious. All of this crazy shit that most of us have got going on. We would probably be coming to rugby to get away from all of that. If it's not fun, it's not any different to when you're not at rugby. Yeah, totally. I mean, obviously, you've still got to buckle down and get on with it and want to win and all of that, not just a mess about. But it's got to be fun because otherwise there's nothing that would make people want to come if it's too serious. what about Kit, Sherry? Oh, my God. Did you see that one? I've tagged Batty. Have you seen it? Oh, yes, I did see it. Which team was that? Oh, my God. Awesome. I don't know. So many people commented and said, oh, my God, your kit is amazing. And she actually said that the whole of the club wear that kit, the men, the minis and juniors and everything. Can you imagine? Awesome. Was it East Dorset Dockers? That's, That's it. it. Here we yeah. go. East Dorset Dockers RFC. It is awesome. That is the best kit. I might move there. Go to that extreme the kit. to sell my house again without <laughs> myself knowing and move there. Can you ask them? Can Chez says I've one of them tops? Can you explain to them how neon yeah. is my theme, how I can be seen from space? Show them me scrum cap, I will do. Just let them know how it is and I will get their team out there. I will wear it So East, East Dorset Dockies, your kit is amazing. If you've got any spare shirts knocking around, let's get one sent to Chez says. She'll wear it round Aldi. In fact, she'll just wear it all the time probably, won't you? I will. Yeah, for everything. Like you wore your new scrum cap yeah. on Christmas Day that year. And Boxing Day. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. I've never seen a kit that good. So you talked about having fun, Sherry, then. So fun's important. What does fun look like for you in a training environment or a playing environment? It's generally me stood at the back going, I'll just watch the demonstration six times before I try it to make sure I've actually got it. And then taking my turn and completely messing it up. Well, everybody else has great enjoyment from that, not the coaches. I like have my own version of everything. I sort of get it, but I put my own twist on things. <laughs> I remember just getting to the point where I just use you for the demos over and over again, because if I didn't, you'd just be at the back talking nonsense to Nick Joyston next to you. And then when it came to Anyone your turn, you'd be like, I have no clue what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I'm just watching. I'm sitting out to What watch. I can never get my head around is we're doing a fairly repetitive drill just say, for example, it's uh, somebody takes the ball in, a couple of people clear out, pass one away, go. 
Right, fairly straightforward, fairly standard. I can do that. I've nailed right, that. Right, so you do that maybe three times. And then on the fourth run through, you've completely forgotten what's just been happening. So you'd already done it three times. And then on the fourth time, your mind goes totally blank. <laughs> what's going on there? Oh, I get bored. My attention span is not great. I'm ready to move on to the next thing now because I've got that. How many times do you need to do it if you've got it? Just move on. <laughs> Any coaches yeah. out there listening? There's a good, actually, there's a serious point there, though, isn't there? Like, once they've got it, move on. Don't do the same thing over again. I don't get most things, but if I've got something, I've got it. And if I carry on, I switch off. Obviously, got something wrong with me, but it's, I'm being truthful. We know that, Sherry. <laughs> My attention span is not great. Good news with the award nomination. Yeah, that is so good. Who nominated us? How did we get there? And how did we get shortlisted? What's so what happened was, I was looking for trying to promote the podcast. And I was just doing some Googling and I found the Sports Podcast Award and there was a register your podcast for the Sports Podcast Award thing. So I went through part of the registration process and I thought to myself, they wanted a demo of the podcast and I just didn't have time to do it. And also, we were only three episodes, four episodes in at the time. And I was like, it's going to cost me some money to do this. I haven't really got time to do the demo properly. It's probably a bit optimistic getting in it anyway. So I'll leave it for this year, see how we get on. So I left it. And then a few weeks later... I got an email from the Sports Podcast Award saying, come across your podcast. We think you'd be a good podcast to enter in the awards. Yeah, so I don't know whether they picked up my sort of part registration or what and then followed that up. No, they've probably listened to the Shed Says bit, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Mm. Yeah, Jamie Roberts was <laughs> chatting to them over a pint and said, yeah, there's a Shed Says. She wants to come on I'm a Celebrity with me. Can you uh, promote the podcast so it's not so weird when she just pitches up in the jungle? <laughs> Can you make her actually look like a celebrity so it's not weird? <laughs> If we win it, will I be a celebrity? Is that, do you think that's Well, it's certainly not going to do you any harm, is it? I'm getting towards like Molly May or halfway right. even. But don't forget where she is now. She was already on Love Island before yeah. she was there. So just for being an influencer. I'm the binfluencer around here. I'm first with the bins out. Not that they've been collected <laughs> for a month. <laughs> it's a bit literally the same thing. It's like the grassroots <laughs> of influencing. I'm binfluencing. <laughs> Influencing. Oh my god, that's brilliant. I put mine out first and then people follow suit. Everybody follows suit. I'm not gonna yeah. lie, right? My bin was collected for the first time yesterday, I reckon a month. My black bin hasn't been emptied. By the time they come next Monday, my black bin has not been emptied for a month. They emptied it before Christmas and it's been out there for two weeks and they totally missed the black day thing. They've been this week and they've forgotten that they were ever getting black and they've just carried on with grey. So next week it'll be a month since my black bin's been emptied. I had maggot mageddon at my house once. Thank God it's yeah. winter. Yeah, I had oh that as well. I went through about 20 litres of bleach. <laughs> I, went, I was using hot water. It cost me about 50 quid in boiled water. Literally, I opened the black bin and it was like an avalanche of maggots. And they were following me into the house. And they just keep going and going and going. They don't stop. It's a question for Jody, actually, is that we generally not very sympathetic towards each other and generally take the piss out of each other's ailments. So you know, does taking a piss actually help or hinder your mental health situation? I don't know. I think it, if you know someone, it's a lot easier to take the piss. And if someone wants to take the piss, if it, it depends what mental health the state I'm in. If I'm in a good state and someone takes the piss, I'm like, oh, that's funny. If I'm in a bad, I'm like, oh, go do it then. I'm like, oh, why don't you go throw that up now? So I'm like, okay, I'll go do that. But I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I think... When you go throw those 10 points in that five Jaeger bombs. Yeah. <laughs> I think taking the piss helps because it doesn't make it... It takes away the severity of it, makes it feel more manageable, less big, less scary. 
when it's made fun of, it gives it less power, I think. Totally. I love being taken the piss out of. It yeah. fuels me. I love it. <laughs> because it's a good then it fucking gi- job. <laughs> I know, really. <laughs> but then it gives me free reign to take the piss back. <laughs> This is Molly's Grassroots Salutes. So I just wanted to address something, because I know we were kind of like anti... We don't want it... Not anti-prem, because we support the women's prem, but we really wanted it to be like grassroots. I just wanted to talk about DMP. Yeah. So I don't know if everyone's seen at the moment that obviously DMP, who are Darlington Modern Park, they are getting absolutely thrashed week on week. I think the Saracens score was, stand by everybody, 104-0 they lost at the weekend. And they're basically just getting abuse on abuse from the supporters saying they shouldn't be in the Prem and, and all these things, which is okay to say that maybe they're not quite at that level anymore, but they turn up with a squad of 23 every week. They go out onto the pitch and they're just getting abuse on social media, on the side of the pitch, just horrendous stuff that I just don't think is in the spirit of rugby. And I just wanted to give a grassroots salute to them for keeping going. Here's a question, right? So have you guys ever lost by more than, say, 80 nil? Yeah. Yeah, I've played a few games where it's been an ass-whipping. Yeah. Yeah. Did anybody die? Uh, No. My soul did, but yeah, (laughs) no no actual person. (laughs) Do you look back at that game and just think, that was the worst experience of my life? Absolutely not. I think it was one of the best ones, rugby-wise. Yeah. Taught me quite a lot of lessons, actually. I'm not going to pretend I enjoyed it. So my take on this is that the premise are pretty young, right? And this is this goes across women's rugby in, as an entirety. So it doesn't really matter that we're talking about premise because the same exists. This, I looked at the scores at the weekend across all the different leagues. There were loads of walkovers, loads of postponed fixtures, a couple of whoopings, and a couple of close games, as is usually the case, right? Everything's still quite young. Really, the league structure's only been as it currently is for a few years. So they're going to be mismatches. It's going to happen. It's going to be teams that just through some fluke end up with loads of really good players and some teams that lose loads of good players because of getting injured, people are going off having children, whatever. So teams will, over time, find their level. And I think that's over five, ten years, something like that. Crewing on Twitch, men's first team, they have been up and down, up and down, up and down over the last few years, haven't they? And they've now found their level. I watched the game at the weekend. They played brilliantly, put in an amazing performance against Unreal. Camp Hill, won the game in really difficult conditions, actually, with very heavy underfoot, very cold, and so on. And they very much were playing at the right level. The opposition were competitive. The, the scores were, albeit, we, you know, we, we played very well. They were generally quite close for a lot of the game. That's been the case of the season. There's been a few games where one team's been significantly better than the other due to availability or something. And that's what's happening. The Premiership is finding its level. So DMP, yes, are not competitive with South Sharks at the minute. You know, they're probably in a league that's a bit too strong for them. And yes, you could argue the toss about maybe the RFU evening up a little bit with some of the central contracts and maybe encouraging players to play for them. But the reality is they're probably not going to be able to compete at that level. So they'll just, you know, a couple of seasons down the track, they'll probably be top of Championship 1. They'll probably fight for top spot with, you know, whoever else is doing well in that league for a few years. And that's just where they'll level out, you know. But to go into them and tear into them the way people are is just so short-sighted. Yeah, it's just horrible. There's lots of different things going on, isn't there? If it's not racism, it's sexism in sport. If it's not sexism, it's just basically degrading people's abilities. And every team in the Premiership will play at at least one bad game. And it's dead easy to watch rugby and say, oh, that was a crap pass or... 
that was a, a rubbish missed tackle when you're having a pint watching. But like when you're personally on the pitch and you've missed that tackle or you've dropped the ball, you don't need someone to shout that at you. You don't need someone to belittle you. And I think it's just it's just such a shame when women's rugby is actually at an all-time high with the World Cup this year and we've got a premiership which we've fought for for such a long time that some people are just jumping on the bandwagon to shout abuse at people. They're not having a very good season. Yeah. You know, the good side of it is really is that people are coming out and saying it's not acceptable. And I think it's really important, actually, on social media, if you do use it and somebody does put in a, a stupid comment like that, it's to actually call them out. I've done it a few times and they nearly always give you a bit of lip and then disappear. But don't let it hang. If somebody comes out with something daft, tell them it's daft. Ask them why they've written it, you know. But certainly to DMP players, they're not going out every Sunday or Saturday um, trying to lose 100 nil. They're trying to win the game. They're trying to be better than they were the week before. They're putting themselves through hell on the training park, in the gym. They're making huge sacrifices in their personal life. They're eating healthy. They're doing all the things that young women don't really want to do probably to try and compete. They're not going out thinking, oh, fuck it, you know, let's just ship a load of points and go to the pub. So give them some love. Yeah. Grassroots salute, DMP. Keep going, girls. Stupid ref, stupid ref, stupid ref, stupid ref. We had a ref in one of our league games who, you know, a, a, a sort of rook had gone down and we were fighting to get the ball out. And the ref looks at me and calls, inside. And I look at him and say, thank you, sir. And then we play on and a couple more instances happen like that. And he then sort of pulls me to one side and he said, when I'm shouting inside and outside, do you know what I mean? And I look, I have no idea, sir. (laughs) Sort of take the time to explain what he meant to me. Uh, And then a quick debrief from the coaches and we were well away again. But um, but yeah, I think that's that's my funniest moment with the ref on the pitch. Brilliant. I love the way that everyone does that. They sort of nod politely. So yes, sir, get back 10 or whatever. And I have no idea what I just did. (laughs) And one thing that I would just like to raise is just how brilliant, I mean this, the refs have been. I will always say to the ref beforehand, listen, please don't think if we're doing something, we're doing it on purpose. We're still (laughs) learning. So pull us up on it. Give us some feedback. And every ref has been amazing with that. A couple of bits of news. Obviously, we are shortlisted for the Sports Podcast Awards, which is, frankly, a little bit ridiculous. So the Sports Podcast Awards are a fairly big deal, actually. And over 300 podcasts from around the UK and overseas have either been nominated or nominated themselves for the awards. And they've all been shortlisted down to 24 categories of of eight or so that have got to the shortlist, of which we're one in the rugby category. So really good news. But it's kind of crazy to see our fairly amateur, crazy podcast up against the likes of the Good and the Rugby. Yeah, some pretty serious podcasts. So to all of our listeners, if you are enjoying it, it's really important that you vote for us and share the podcast. We'd love to win it. It's a massive ask. Even if you hate the show and you can't stand the sound of our voices, we're the only women's podcast in the group. So let's at least focus on that and uh, let's see what we can do. It'd be good to win it. It'd be really nice. We should have like a, um, like a, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Party. Party. <laughs> <laughs> Massive piss up. Yeah. I was like basically a copy Orgy. of Blue did when we when she went to Twickenham. Reenact- reenactment. Yes. No, I can't go through that again. Neither Don't can I. Don't let me do it. Neither can I. When we put the post on Facebook, Matt, 
about the fact that we might win this award. Dumb listener, who is a legend, said naked podcast to celebrate. Well, who said uh, that? I'm basically naked anyway. I'm wearing underwear right now. Why don't we just say we're naked? Like nobody knows. We could just have a naked podcast. We could, you know, we could be, we're in our own homes. Oh, this <laughs> is it. Darren, if you win, I suggest a naked podcast. To is which Darren I- the Pasty Man? From Starbridge? Yeah, he is. He's our oh. pasty man. Is he the oh pasty supplier? Yeah, he is. So I said, now, Darren, please calm down. He said, okay, I'll listen naked. Oh. So, Darren, if you're listening naked, oh, good on you. Pasties, you get your stick onto you when you go out. Oh, my God. Oh, my West. Strategic pasties. Cornish nipple pasties. <laughs> what? No, like the little sticky pasties. They're called nipple pasties. So you don't get a nip on when you go out in, like, a dress. Hey, Molly, maybe that's the secret to eating when you go out. You could actually have... There you go. It's the end of the night when you've danced the night away. Eat your pasties. Oh gosh. And you got one spare for someone else. It's not poo in a pocket, it's pasty in a pocket. Oh, it's a bit less fun. I'm not gonna lie. So anyway, Darren, put some clothes on. Can we please not do a naked pocket? It doesn't matter whether we're naked or we can just say we're naked. Nobody knows. Darren's friends with Karen, I think. Is he? Oh, the one starer. Yep, Karen, the one-star reviewer. Still, well, I haven't like, eaten your pasta yet, Darren. So, yeah, we'll see, eh? Make sure you do it <laughs> naked, Lou. <laughs> Eat the pasty naked. If you do that, make sure you let it cool down first because those things can be red hot in the middle. I don't want to drop you a bit some on, of that. on one of my breasticles, do yeah, I? You end up with peppercorn it. sauce game. It could be worse than peppercorn sauce. Grassroots News with Lou. So Lou's News, thanks guys. You've stolen both of my Lou's News stories. So my first one was our podcast joy of being ranked currently first, in the, which is great. And my second one was about DMP. So yeah, thanks Moles. So the only other news I've got is that the first team pitch is a bit sticky. The second team pitch is a bit boggy. And the third team pitch is practically lagoon-like possibly think it's like that in many other clubs because there's been lots of postponements this weekend for rugby within the various leagues. Got a feeling that the uh, the rain has taken the toll over the last few weeks. Maybe they're not like one club we visited in the past where they were sweeping the water off the pitch into a bin and they thought it was possibly dangerous. That was... Uh, um, I personally think it's exciting, but that's just my opinion. In your wetsuit. Yeah. <laughs> Ultracum Kersal, was it? Mm-hmm. That's okay, yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, Lou, maybe we should have a uh, weather forecast for the weekend from you. Like horse racing, going okay. good to fair or heavy to soft. Yeah. What's the pitch going to be like at your club this weekend? Lou will tell you. Heavy to lagoon-like. <laughs> yeah. With, with a fair chance of torrential rain. <laughs> <laughs> Get your pitchforks out and your bins because you're going to be sweeping bitches. <laughs> Who's got the most revolting pitch? Because this is the time of year where pitches become pretty disgusting, isn't it? So our training pitch right now is not a very pleasant place to be. But I definitely have been to worse places than ours. 
Um, in fact, I think it was Northwich was particularly horrible. No, Winnington Park, sorry, particularly horrible. Their training pitch was a nasty place. So anybody out there has got an amazingly revolting pitch, send us a picture. I've been to rugby clubs where there's been some sort of undeclared drain issue underneath the pitch. And as soon as it gets wet, it gets stinky. That's not okay. Does everyone remember the dead sheep when we did fitness training oh, over the oh, summer? God, that was so, so bad. bad. The wind was blowing over the dead rotting sheep towards <laughs> us as we were training. So we were like trying to do some sprints and some burpees whilst mid uh, smell. Proper Cheshire rugby club. We're doing uh, the bleep test and we have to stop halfway because we're all vomiting because the dead sheep whiff has hit us. <laughs> Dead, rotting sheep. Yeah, did yeah. not make it past level seven. <laughs> what was funny though is the coach. He set up his grids and all of that sort of stuff, and he'd done it with NASA-like precision. Obviously, using GPS satellites to make sure they're they're all perpendicular to each other and all the rest of it. So once we all realised that the training area was contaminated by rotting sheep, rather than do what most sensible people do and move the training area upwind rather than downwind, he just said, "No, we train here. You know, just get on with it." <laughs> It took me 20 minutes to set these grids out. Fucking yeah. train bitches. And- exactly. I swear to God, that smell was like glued itself to the inside of my nostrils. I could smell dead sheep for at least three hours after the session. It was the most disgusting thing. Takes one to the face. Catches first, preferably, and then the drive. Full in the face. Look at this. Very definition of taking one for the team. Oh my God. That is extraordinary. But the kick. Lands on the head and offside is accidental. This is Every Team's Got One. Every team's got one player who it's all about the RFU. What I mean by that is they know the values inside out. Everything they do is by the RFU book. And when you're in a meeting, everything has to relate back to the RFU values. When they talk about coaching and playing and all the rest of it, it's all come straight from the RFU handbook. The mere suggestion of something a little bit old school and the laws book comes out, every team's got one of those. Yeah, and it's not the rules, everyone. It is the laws. Oh, they always say that as well. Yeah, you just like, shut the fuck up. They're usually a trained ref as well. Yes, they are. Yeah. There's sorts of people that are asked to see your coaching qualifications before play. And make sure that you have the special safe area by the side of the pitch before training and stuff like that, which is all well and good if it's a nice day and there's plenty of space available. But when you're tucked into some horrible corner on a windswept day when it's pissing with rain, you just want to get on with it. We are helpful though sometimes. Like, say, in a game, they'll call out the ref. That doesn't always work to your advantage. Yeah. Depending (laughs) on the ref, because the ref is like, I'm the ref. I've just said this. (laughs) So if you disagree, get back 10. So they kind of serve their purpose, as you say, Jay. It's it's a good observation. that They can be quite useful when it comes to training drills and so on to make sure they're incorporating the new experimental law variations and all of that. Sometimes you just want to have a bit of a laugh. And you just can't do it sometimes because, yeah, you know, it's like, well, yeah, you can't take pictures at the pitch because you need people's permission. You can't send that because of GDPR. You can't do that because of insurance. It's like, where do all these fucking rules come from? Just chuck a ball around, have some fun. Laws. Laws, Matt. (laughs) Anyway. I respect these people immensely, but they also make me raise my eyebrow. But they always find a reason not to do something. Sometimes just, just have some fun. 
So it's always like, yeah, yeah, but do we have permission? Are the lights allowed to be on after that time of night? Have you booked out the pitches properly? Do the insurance documents cover this? Do we have a, a dedicated first aider on site at any one time? It's like, just shut up. There were definitely uh, like a kid in school that reminded the teacher about the homework. Oh, my oh, God, yes. yes. It is that sort <laughs> of person that makes me want to do exactly the opposite of what they've just suggested. Yes. Yeah, on purpose. Mm. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Totally. They're the ones that like know all of the child protection legislation when you coach humans and juniors. Oh, anyway, they serve a purpose, but they do sometimes get in the way of fun. If you're one of these people, keep it going, but learn when to, to wind it in sometimes. And now we remember our fallen teammates who laid down their mobility and dignity in the noble struggle against the tyranny of skill and athleticism. Becky, second row, who you haven't seen at training for three weeks. Chronic anxiety. Samantha, wing, fainted at work today. Bulimia. Georgia, scrum half wears cycling shorts to cover her self-harm scars. Fran, center, recently broke up with her girlfriend. Depression. Dave, your coach, thought about suicide last year when he lost his job. They shall grow not cold, as we that are left grow cold. Breakdowns shall not weary them, nor the muds condemn. At the going down of the scrum and in the mauling, we will remember them. To our fallen comrades, we salute you. Shout out to Stafford Rugby Club, who have started up a really cool initiative, which is called The Marvels. And The Marvels is an all-inclusive rugby team, which really does open its doors to anybody, male or female, and very much focused on people that have maybe got disabilities of some sort, and really trying to bring rugby to those people that have coming back from injuries or maybe got injuries that are preventing them from playing properly, maybe have some form of disability. They can play a mixed version of touch rugby in a very safe environment, and it really does enable them to get out and have a go at the game so i think that's an absolutely brilliant initiative so if you're interested in joining the marvels down at stafford the training times are monday evening 7 to 8 p.m so if you look them up on the internet you'll be able to find all those details and again i'll put it in the show notes also big hello to renee selby gorham who has messaged us all the way from australia so renee's been listening to the podcast and is a rugby player down under and she's said in her message to us how much relevance there is to what we've been talking about to how things are in australia which is really interesting so we're going to get her on the pod and have an interview there at some point but hi Rene great to hear from somebody so far away and uh, glad that you're enjoying the pod yeah lovely to hear from you good day mate <laughs> <laughs> oh, no!
Thanks for listening to Grassroots. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you found any of the subjects discussed in this episode interesting, or if you have some ideas or stories you wish to share to help others, please get in touch. A brilliant finish! This was Grassroots, women's rugby on the roots up.